Hello. Hello. Welcome to Infinite Jest. Infinite Cast, a pod jest. Yeah, more or less. Yes. Um, what? Oh, I'm just reaching over to put tennis highlights on. Oh, I can put tennis highlights on. Okay. Uh, before we get started today, I uh, wanted to let everyone know that I have um, storyboarded the sequence that we have uh, read last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already told Molly my pitch for how I would lo- love to film that for uh, a, a TV show. Yeah, we ended up talking about um, how, uh, how to direct a Infinite Jest uh, cinematic property yeah. for like an hour ahead <laughs> yes. of our... So, so the whole... Well, the, I think the main thing about this book is that it is kind of written in these like suites and sequences, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that are that do kind of like are, are very... Uh, not discursive, uh, digressive. Yeah. Uh, back into the past, but I think that the sequence that we just read would be a good cold open for an episode, and I would want to do it as a single follow shot, like a uh, like a steady cam tracking shot that just follows Don through his nightly ritual of mm-hmm. walking down the house, uh, and you kind of see you track him from like behind his big head. Uh, as he like you know greets all the people coming in at the door as they're lollygagging in, he's like checking his watch for time. Is but going back in and like you know uh, having to like collect for you know force the guy to give the pee sample. Yeah. Uh, but then coming back to the front door as more people lollygag in, and you know you see um, you know uh, uh Bruce and um what's his name, um, the dog killer. Randy. Randy, like, coming in looking frightened and nervous as they, like, go upstairs. And you see Don having to do, like, hit the button to go to the girls' corridor mail, again. Mail on, mail on the floor. floor mail, mail on the, on the floor, floor. And do all this stuff. And it just follows him up and down and up. And then he goes again, herds the people to get everybody to go outside to, to move their cars again. Yeah. You and fo- you just hear, like, people, like, screaming and talking. In the and- background, little snippets of conversation in the in the back. And just, like, all these little, like, things that are irritants to him that he just has to like constantly be interrupted and, and doing you know that's like a, a, a five minute se- sequence and it only uh cuts for when he has to go up and get uh the guy who has the the st- intestinal diseases dooney glenn dooney glenn dooney glenn's keys and you follow him to the front of dooney glenn's door uh and then he's like looking in at this moaning guy and then that's when it cuts uh. To see like an extreme close up of Dooney Glenn suffering, his eye, his, his bottom bump, eye rolling up, yeah, like the cow's I try, eye. I was trying to think of how that would work, and yeah, yeah it's, it, <laughs> and you just see, you hear Don being like, "I need your keys," and then it cuts into him and being like, "Simonize my baby, what I've got," and then the Roachmobile, and then he, you have do that little co- uh, conversation with actual cuts, and then it's back to Don as you follow him outside to see the commotion that's going on, and, and the, t- the touch when I, the yeah. Gun, points straight to to don yeah that's when it cuts to title sequence yeah the cast i will i i had the the addition of as he walks outside like you just see like his big head and just like in the background you see randy running yeah, around like the car. out of focus in the yeah far out back. of focus exactly. and then coming into focus and yeah then exactly realize, and then you, he like turns his head you see like half of the residents that are like yeah all uh, yelling at stuff all it's just yelling like, with their hands in the air yeah and the point is it's just like ratcheting tension and anxiety around him uh as it stays on him being like fairly cool, like this is all normal, like the typical irritant of an every, every night for him. Yeah, but it is like insanity going on around. Why him. is this night not like other nights? Yes. Hey, happy Easter. <laughs> hey, happy, happy Easter. I guess happy Passover as well. All right. So thanks for bearing with me as I uh, spool that spool that out. But yeah. Um, so keep that in mind as we <laughs> go into this segment, which I'm I've been looking forward to all week. Yes. All right. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, the Nuck duo with flowers chasing Lens come around this side and now break away from the car toward them. Now Hester Thrail at Gately's right periphery breaks away from the cluster and runs for it off into the night across the lawn <laughs> and behind number four waving her arms and screaming. And Minty and McDade and Pariahs Carbo and Charlotte Treat. <laughs> Pariahs Carbo? I don't, I don't know who that is, actually. I don't think we've heard that name before. Yeah. Appear out of Ennett House's back door across the hedge and mill and jostle amid the mops and old furniture on Ennett's back porch watching. And a couple of the more mobile catatonics appear on the porch of the shed across the little street, staring at the specked op. All of this flummoxing, the smaller ones, so he keeps swinging the items stiffly this way and that way, trying to keep way more people at potential bay. The two alien foreigners that want Lens's map bear down slowly across the Montego's headlights toward where Lens is holding Gately like a shield. 
The larger one that's so large his Luau's shirt won't even button all the way, holding out the mustache, adopts the overly reasonable tone that always precedes a serious type beef. He reads Gately's bowling shirt in the headlight and says reasonably that Moose still has a chance to keep out of what they've got no beef with him, them. (laughs) Hey, Moose, you got... uh, This is not between you and me. Uh... Lens is pouring a diuretic spatter of disclaimers and exhortations into <laughs> Gately's right ear. Gately shrugs at the nucks like he's got no choice but to be here. Green's just looking at them. It occurs to Gately by white flag suggestion that who gives a fuck how it'd look. He ought to hit his knees right here on the headlit blacktop and ask for guidance on this from a higher power. <laughs> but he stands there, Lens chattering in his shadow. The fingernails of Lenz's hand on Gately's shoulder have horseshoes of dried blood in the creases between nail and finger, and there's a coppery smell off Lenz that isn't just fear. It occurs to Gately that if he'd pulled the instant spot urine he'd wanted on Lenz, this whole snafu wouldn't maybe be happening. The one knuck is holding Lenz's disguise's mustache out at them like a blade. Lenz hasn't asked the time once, notice. (laughs) Then the other Nux got his hand down at his side and a real blades gleam appears in that hand with a familiar snick. (laughs) A real blades gleam? Yeah. Did he say say snicked? Snick, you know. I wonder if uh, Wallace is an an X-Men fan because that is famously the sound that Wolverine's claws make when they come out in the comics. Snicked. At the blade's sound, the situation becomes even more automatic, and Gately feels adrenaline's warmth spread through him as his subdural hardware clicks deeper into a worn, familiar, long-past track. Having no choice now not to fight, and things simplify radically, divisions collapse. Gately's just one part of something bigger he can't control. His face in the left headlight has dropped into its fight expression of ferocious good cheer. He says he's responsible for these people on these private grounds tonight and is part of this whether he wants to be or not. And can they talk this out because he doesn't want to have to fight them? He says twice, very distinctly, that he does not want to fight them. (laughs) He's no longer divided enough to think about whether this is true. (laughs) His eyes are on the two men's maple leaf belt buckles, (laughs) the part of the body where you can't get suckered by a feint. The guys shake their manes and say they're going to unembowel this craven batard here like this sans-christ batard killed somebody they either called Pepe or Bebe. And if Moose has any self-interest, he'll backpedal away from there's no way it is his duty to get frapped or fropped for this sick, gutless USA batard in his womanly wig. Lens apparently thinking they're Brazilian. <laughs> He's womanly wig. This, uh, this craven batard here. This sans-christ batard. Uh... <laughs> Lens, apparently thinking they're Brazilian, pops his head around Gately's flank and calls them maricones and tells them they can suck his batard is what they can do. Gately has just division enough to almost wish he didn't feel such a glow of familiar warmth, a surge of almost sexual competence as the two <laughs> as the two shriek at Lens's taunts and split and curve in at them an arm's length apart, walking gradually faster like unstoppable inertia, but stupidly too close together. At two meters off, they charge, shedding petals and unisonly bellowing something in Canadian. It's always that everything always speeds up and slows down both. Gately's smile broadens as he's shoved slightly forward by Lens, as Lens recoils backward off him to run from the guy's shrieking charge. Gately takes the shove's momentum and body checks the enormous knuck holding the mustache into the knuck holding the blade, who goes down with an oof of expelled air. <laughs> the first knuck has hold of Gately's bowling shirt and rips it and punches Gately in the forehead and audibly breaks his hand, letting go of <laughs> Gately to grab his hand. The he, punch he is Reacher. Yes, the punch makes Gately stop thinking in any sort of spiritual <laughs> terms at all. Gately takes the man's broken hand's arm he's holding out and with his eyes on the ground's other knuck, breaks the arm over his knee. And as the guy goes down on one knee, Gately takes the arm and pirouettes around, twisting the broken arm behind the guy's back, and plants his sneaker on the guy's floral back and forces him forward so there's a sick crack and he feels the arm come out of the socket and there's a high foreign scream. The knuck with the blade who was down slashes Gately's calf through his jeans as the guy rolls gracefully left and starts to rise up on one knee, knife out front, a guy that knows his knives and can't be closed with one while he's got the blade up. 
Gately faints and takes one giant step and gets all his weight into a rockhead kick that lands high up under the Nux's beard's chin and audibly breaks Gately's big toe in the sneaker and sends the man curving out back into the dazzle of the high beams and there's a metallic boom of him landing on the Montego's hood and the click and skitter of the blade landing somewhere on the street beyond the car. Gately on one foot, holding his toe, and his slashed calf feels hot. His smile is broad but impersonal. It's impossible, outside choreographed entertainment, to fight two guys together at once. They'll kill you. The trick to fighting two is to make sure and put one down for long enough that he's out of the picture long enough to put the other guy down. And this first larger one, with the extreme arm trouble, is clutching himself as he rolls, trying to rise, still perversely holding the white mustache. You, <laughs> you can tell this is a real beef because nobody's saying anything, and the sounds from everybody else have receded to the sounds stands crowds make, and Gately hops over and uses the good foot to kick the knuck twice in the side of the big head. And then without a thought in his head, moves down the guy and lines it up and drops to one knee with all his weight on the guy's groin. <laughs> resulting in an indescribable sound from the guy and a shout from JVD overhead and a flat crack from the lawn. And Gately's punched so hard in the shoulder, he's spun around on one knee and almost goes over backwards. And the shoulder goes hotly numb which tells Gately he's gotten shot instead of punched in the shoulder. He never got shot before. Shot in sobriety, in bold headline caps, goes across his mind's eye like a slow train as he, Ugh, sees, the, not fair. As he sees the third knuck with his cap pushed back and knuck face contorted with cordite in his good stance, with elbow back up drawing a second bead on Don's big head from number four's lawn, with the boar's lightless eye and a little pubic curl of smoke coming from the vented muzzle. And Gately can't move and forgets to pray. And then the boar zagging up and away as it blooms orange as good old Bruce Green's got the knuck from behind and a half Nelson with his hand in the necklace of flowers and with the other hand is forcing the cocked elbow down and the item skyward away from Gately's head as it blooms with that flat crack of a vented muzzle. The first thing somebody's who's shot uh, the first thing somebody's who's shot wants to do is throw up, <laughs> which, by the way, the larger knuck with the um, uh, breeze blocked crotch under Gately's doing all over his beard and flower necklace and Gately's legs thigh as Gately weaves on one knee on the guy's groin still. <laughs> the lady yells for help. Now a meaty thwack as Nell Gunther on the lawn leaps several twirling meters and kicks the Nuck Green's half-Nelsoning in the face with her paratrooper boots heel. And the guy's hat flies off, and his head snaps back and hits Green's face, and there's the pop of Green's nose breaking, but he doesn't let go. And the guy's slumped forward in the Parkinsonian half-bow of a guy in a quality half-Nelson, with the guy's item hand's arm still up in the air with Green's arm like they're dancing. And good old Green doesn't even let go to hold his spurting nose. And now that the Nuck's restrained, notice, here comes Lenz, barreling in, howling from the hedge's shadows, and leaping as he tackles the Nuck and Green both. And there are royal of clothes and legs on the lawn, the item not in sight. Karen Erdetti still has his hands up. <laughs> Gately, still kneeling, shot on the Nuck's sickeningly, so sickeningly softened groin, Gately hears the second knuck trying to slide himself off the hood of the Montego and hops and wobbles over. Joel VD keeps yelling something monosyllabic from what can't be her window. Don goes to the Montego's front bumper and punches the large man carefully in the kidneys with his good arm and takes him by the thick foreign hair and slides him back up the hood and begins banging his head off the Montego's windshield. He remembers how he'd stay in luxury-furnished North Shore apartments with G. Fackelman and T. Kite, and they'd gradually strip the place and sell the appointments off until they were sleeping in a totally bare apartment. Green has risen, bloody-faced, and Lenz is on the lawn with his heaving topcoat covering him and the third knuck, and Clinette H. and Yolanda W. are now up and not at bay and circling them and getting solid high heel kicks into the knucks and sometimes hopefully Lenz's ribs, reciting motherfucker and landing a kick each time they get to fa. Gately, canted way over to the side, methodically beats his knucks shaggy head <laughs> against the windshield so hard that spidered stars are appearing in the shatterproof glass until something in the head gives with a sort of liquid crunch. This is also like Brad Pitt fighting the the Manson family. This is exactly like that. Yeah. Sorry. Just, just kind of zen-like bashing that chick's face just into the telephone. Just exactly, exactly yeah. what to do. Petals from the guy's necklace are all over the hood and Gately's torn shirt. 
Joelle VD in her terry robe and gauze veil and still clutching a toothbrush has climbed out onto the little balcony outside the five women's window and into a skinny ailanthus behind it, beside it and is coming down, showing about two meters of spectacularly undeformed thigh, shouting Gately's name by the first name, which he likes. So I guess she's screaming, Don. Yes. <laughs> Gately leaves the largest nuck prone on the idling hood, his head resting in a shatter-frosted, head-shaped recession in the windshield. Mm -hmm. It occurs to Ken Erdetti, looking up into the oak past his upraised hand, that this deformed veiled girl likes Don Gately in an extracurricular way, it would seem. Gately, toe and shoulder or no, has looked strictly all business this whole time. He's projected a sort of white-collar attitude of cheery competence and song fraud. (laughs) Did I pronounce that right? That's Schadenfreude? Song fraud, like like cold blood. Okay, I don't know if I know that term. Song fraud? Sangfreud? Whatever. Uh, Erdetti's found he rather likes standing there with his hands up in a gesture of non-combatant status while the Afro-American girls curse and kick and Lenz continues to roll around with the unconscious man hitting him and going there, there. <laughs> and Gately moves backward between the second fellow in the windshield and the first fellow he'd originally disarmed. His smile now is empty ah, as a disarmed. As a, <laughs> yes. His smile now is empty as a pumpkin's grin. Chandler Foss is His trying smile is empty as a pumpkin's grin. There are a lot of obviously, but a lot of good turns of phrases in here. Yeah. Chandler Foss is trying on the third fe- fellow's plaid hunting cap. <laughs> There's a sound in number four of somebody trying to force a warped window. An Empire WDV is launched with a kind of spronging thud and whistles overhead, climbing. It's warning light wrap of like Xmas lights winking red and green as Don Gately starts to come over in the direction of the lawn. And the fellow who appears to have winged him and then veers drunkenly and changed direction and in three one foot hops is over to the first vomit covered, uh, the vomit covered first nuck, the one who'd called Gately Moose and punched him in the forehead. There's the slow trundle of the green tea and exhortations from Minty as Gately begins stomping on the supine face of the Nuck with the heel of his good foot as if he were killing cockroaches. The guy's movable arm is waggling pathetically in the air around Gately's shoe as it rises and falls. Gately's hideous torn orange shirt's whole right side is dark and his right arm drips blackly and seems weirdly set in its socket. Lens is up and adjusting his wig and brushing off. The veiled girl has hit a rough part some three meters up and is hanging from a limb and kicking, Erdetti staring Copernicanly up her flapping robe. The new tingly kid sits cross-legged in the grass and rocks as the black ladies continue stomping the inert nuck. You can hear Emil Minty and Wade McDade exhorting Yolanda W. to use the spike heel. Charlotte Treat is reciting the serenity prayer over and over. Bruce Green has his head back and his finger held like a mustache under his nostrils. Hester Thrale can still be heard way off down Warren Street, receding, as Gately wobbles back from the Nuck's map and sits heavily down in the little street, in shadow, except for his huge head in the Nuck's car lights, sitting there with his head on his knees. Lens and Green move in toward him, the cautious way you approach a big animal that's hurt. (laughs) Joelle Van Dyne lands on her feet. The lady at the high warped window shouts for help, 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 help. Minty and McDade come down off the back porch, finally, McDade for some reason wielding a mop. Everybody except <laughs> everybody except Lenz and Milti- Minty looks unwell. Joel runs just like a girl, Erdetti notes, which takes us to end note 256. Uh, Erdetti's hands up uh, still with keys. <laughs> Back to the text. She gets out through the many angled cars into the street just as Gately decides to lie down. <laughs> it's not like passing out. It's just a decision Gately makes to like lie back with his knees bent and pointing up into the sky's depth, which seems to bulge and recede with the pulse in his right shoulder, which has now gone dead cold, which means there will very soon be pain, he predicts. He waves off concern with the left hand and goes flesh wound the second Joel's bare feet and robe's helm are in view. Son of a fucking bitch. Flesh wound. Are you ever bleeding? Thanks for the feedback. You can hear Henderson and Willis off in the background still going, fuh. I think you can tell them uh, he's probably subdued, Gately pointing off in what he thinks is number four's lawn's direction. His lying flat gives him a double chin, he can feel, and pulls his big face into a smile. His big present fear is throwing up in front of and maybe partly on Joel VD, whose calves he's noted. <laughs> now now lenses lizard skin loafers with grass stains at the toes. 
Don, what can I say? <laughs> Gailey struggles to sit back up. You got fucking armed knucks wanting your ass to? Revealing a kind of blackly kimono-ish thing under, Joel has taken off the Terry robe and folds the robe into a kind of trapezoidal pad and is kneeling over Gately's shoulder, straddling his arm, pressing down on the pad with the heels of her hand. Owie. <laughs> Lens, he's really bleeding bad here. I'm groping to even know what to begin to say, Don. <laughs> you owe me urine, Lens. <laughs> Uh, I think there's two of them, like, desisted. Wade McDee's unlaced high tops, his voice breathy with awe. He's bleeding really bad, I said. You mean deceased. There's one of their shoes in one of them's fucking eye. <laughs> Tell Ken to put his hands down, for Christ's sake. Oh, fucking God. Gately can feel his eyes crossing and uncrossing by themselves. He's soaking right through it, man. Look at that shit. This, mean, this man needs an ambulance. Somebody else female says God again, and Gately's hearing warbles a bit as Joelle snaps at her to shut up. She leans down and in so Gately can see up at what looks like a regular human female chin and makeupless lower lip under the veil's billowing hem. See, I'd just be thinking like, oh, God, I hope I didn't kill one of these guys because that's just going to be a whole hassle for well, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, whom should we call, she asks him. Call Pat's machine and Calvin. You have to dial nine. Tell them to come down. I'm going to be sick. Air Daddy, Mint is shouting at Ken E. Minty is shouting at Ken E. Tell her to call Annie and the EM office uh, down there and do some, like, strategic thing. Where the fuck is security when it isn't just innocent recovering cars to get towed? And call Pat, Gately says. A forest of footwear and bare feet and shins all around him and heads too high to see. Lens screaming back to somebody in the house. Call a fucking ambulance already. Regulate the voice, man. Fucking call about five ambulances is more like it. Motherfucker. Shh. I never I ne I just never saw anything like that. Nuh-uh, Gately gasped, trying to rise and deciding he just likes it better lying down. <laughs> Don't call one for me. This is the straight and narrow. By doze is fied. He doesn't want one. <laughs> that's that's uh, yes, yes, that's green. By doze. <laughs> By doze is fied. He doesn't want one, he said. Greens and Minty's boots, treats purple plastic shower thongs. Somebody has on Clearasil he can smell. Seen some righteous ass kickings in my past, brother, but... So I think, I think uh, Lens is just trying to compliment Don on like yes, a job yes. well done for kicking their asses. Somebody male screams back off to the right. Just don't try and walk me around, Gately grins up. <laughs> Do you remember his story where his friend got shot in the bar and they were oh, all yeah, so yeah. drunk that they were just, <laughs> just walking, like walking him around, around because they thought that he would like get walk better? Walk it off, yeah. Just don't try to walk me around. <laughs> Dipshit. He can't go in no ER with a gunshot, Minty says to Lenz, whose shoes keep moving to get himself north of everybody. Somebody turn off the car, will you? I wouldn't touch nothing. Gately focuses at where the Joel girl's eyes would be. Her thighs are forked way wide to straddle his arm, which is numb and doesn't feel like his. She's bearing down on him. She smells strange but good. She's got all her weight on her bathrobe's pad. She weighs roughly nothing. The first threads of pain are starting to radiate out of the shoulder and down the side and into the neck. Gately hasn't looked down at the shoulder on purpose, and he tries to wedge his left hand's finger under the shoulder to see if anything went through. The night's so clear, the stars shine right through people's heads. Green. I'm not touching nothing. D nothing. Don't worry. <laughs> Look at his head. Her kimono shoulders are humped in glassy black in the Montego's light. Gately's brain keeps wanting to go away inside himself. When you start to feel deeply cold, that's shock and blood loss. Gately sort of wills himself to stay right here, looks over past Joel's hand at Lenz's fine shoes. Lens, you and Green, get me inside. Green! The circle of stars' heads' faces above are, are all faceless from the headlights' shadows. Some car engines have sh shut off and some haven't. One of the cars has a twittering fan belt. Somebody's suggesting to call the genuine finest, Erdetti, which everybody greets with scorn at his naivete. <laughs> Gately's figuring staff from the shed or number four has called them or has at least dialed down to security. 
By the time he was 10, only his pinky finger would fit in the dialer's holes of his mother's old princess phone. (laughs) He exerts will to uncross his eyes and stay right here. He, in the worst way, does not want to be lying here with a gunshot in shock trying to deal with the finest. (laughs) I think one of these guys is, like, expired. No shit, Shylock. Shylock. (laughs) Nobody call. Gately yells it up and out. Here's a If you dial 911 and say somebody has been shot and I need an ambulance, mm-hmm. would they automatically send a cop Absolutely. as well? Yeah. And it, I mean, <laughs> Can you specify? Somebody's been shot, no cops, just ambulance. Yeah. This is a medical <laughs> issue. Yeah, I, th- I think anytime you call and say no cops, they will absolutely send a cop. <laughs> no, um, this is it's not a legal problem, just a medical issue. Don't yeah. don't need the police, just EMS. It is send the ambu la ants and send the ambu la ants. I don't know what like laws. This is where you know my yeah. my street knowledge is uh, rather bad. limited yeah, sure, <laughs> with I'm my sure life this, experience. Yeah. But um, I don't I don't know what the general policy is. You know, like for example, at a music festival, if you are like o- overdosing on a drug, they're not going to arrest you for drug possession. They're just gonna like uh yeah care for you. But like if you get shot. Does that automatically mean you are... Is it a crime to get shot? Is it a crime to get shot? That's what I'm wondering. It should not be. It shouldn't be. Yes. It's not your fault. That is... It, look, when when they report... When you see, like, the cop... When cops shoot somebody and, like, it's in that passive language that's, like, a, a, a bullet... In a, in a cop-related s- situation, a bullet has passed through a yes, civilian. A cop-related situation. Uh, you should... If they get civilian to do that... Civilian stands in way of cops gone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if they get to do that when reporting on cops shooting people, you should be able to call nine one one and say, and say in a in a non crime situation, a <laughs> bullet has entered my body, and, and I, I would like help. an ambulance. I need an ambulance. Uh, he's afraid he's going to vomit when they stand him up. Nobody call nobody till you get me in. He can smell Green's leather jacket overhead, bits of grass and whatnot drifting down onto him from where Lens is still brushing off his clothes and coins of blood on the street from Green's nose. Joelle tells Lenz if he doesn't cut something out, she's going to hand him his ass. See, the, also, you know, I'm enjoying this thing, but the, t- the tension of it is a, little, uh, is a little undercut because I know that Don lives long enough to dig up J.O. and Condenza's head with Hal. That's the, that's the thing is, like, there's drama, but then also it's like, well, yes. what, what happens? Uh, Gately's whole right side has gone deadly cold. To Joel, he says, I'm supervised. I'll go to jail, sure. You got fucking eyewitnesses out the ass behind you, Don, man. Either McDade or Glenn <laughs> says. But it can't be Glenn. For some reason, he tries to bring up something inside him. And it seems like Charlotte T's voice saying Ewell's trying to get into Pat's office to call, but Gately locked Pat's door. Oh. Uh, Nobody call anyone, Joel shouts up and out. She smells good. They're calling. Get him off the phone. Say prank, for Christ's sake. You hear me? Prank. <laughs> Her Satire. Prank, prank. <laughs> In the game. Her kimono smells good. Her voice has a staff-like authority. The scene out here has changed. Gately's down. Madame Psychosis is in charge. Uh, she learned from the best. She learned from a film director. Yes. We're going to get him up and we're going to get him inside, she says to the circle. Lens. There's impending static crackle and the sound of a serious set of keys. Her voice is that one Madame Lady's voice on no subscription radio from out of nowhere he's all of a sudden sure is where he heard that odd, empty, half-accented voice before. So he, he Don Don is at least a Madame Psychosis listener, casual listener. Uh, it's, it sounds like he maybe like ha- has tuned in a little bit while flipping channels. Yeah. <laughs> Security, hold it right there. <laughs> That's how it's spelled. Is that the Boston accent? Yeah. Security. Security, hold it right there. It's at least luckily one of the ex-football EM security guys that spends half his shift down at the Life and then goes up and down the street lit all night playing with his service baton and singing sea shanties off key. <laughs> That's just impressively qualified to come into AA with them. Joel, Erdetti, deal with him. Pardon me? It's the drunk. Gately gets out. Joel's looking up at presumably Ken E. Go over and look high income and respectable at him. Verbalize at him. Distract him while we get him inside before the real ones come. How am I supposed to explain all these prone figures draped over cars? For Christ's sake, Ken, he's not a mental titan. Distract him with something shiny or something. Get your thumb (laughs) out of your ass and move. Gately's smile has reached his eyes. Your madame on the the FM is how I knew you. (laughs) Erdetti's squeaky shoe and the obese guy's radio and keys. Who hold it, as in desist? 
Security, I said halt. Green and Lens bending in, white breath all over and Green's dripping nose the same copper smell as Lens. I knew I knew you, Gately says to Joelle, whose veil remains inscrutable. If I could ask you to specify halt from what? <laughs> I assume that's Ken, Ken getting <laughs> yes, into exactly. white collar boat. Get his back up here first, Green tells Lens. Not crazy about all this blood, Lens is saying. Many hands slide under his back. The shoulder blooms with colorless fire. The sky looks so 3D you could like dive in. The stars distend and sprout spikes. Joelle's warm legs shift with her weight to keep pressure on the pad. The squishing sound Gately knows means the robe's soaked through. He wants someone to congratulate him for not having thrown up. <laughs> you can tell some of the stars are nearer and some far down there. What Gately's always thought of as the big question mark is really the Big Dipper. <laughs> I'm ordering's desist until who's in charge that I can report the situation. The security guy's hammered. His name's Sidney or Stanley, and he wears his security hat and baton, shopping in the Purity Supreme, and always asks Gately how's it hanging. His shoes uppers are blasted along the feet's insides the way fat men that have to walk a lots are. His ex-ball player's collops and big hanging gut are one of Gately's great motivators for nightly sit-ups. Gately turns his head to throw up a little on both Green and Joel, who both ignore it. Oh, sorry. Oh, shit. I hate that. <laughs> Joel VD runs a hand down Gately's wet arm that leaves a warm wake, the hand, and then gently squeezes as much of the wrist as she can get her hand around. And low, she says softly. Jesus, his leg's all bloody, too. Boy, do I know guys love that show you did. <laughs> a, a tiny bit more throwing up. <laughs> so I guess pe people listen to it at the at the house a lot, or did. Now we're going to lift him very gently and get the feet under. Here, green man, get over here on the south, why don't you? See, now in this in this part, I'm uh, also imagining Don as having the the affect of H. John Benjamin doing any character. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, oh, oh God. Oh, like yeah, Bob when he when something uh, for Bob's burgers. Oh, sorry, sorry. I really hate Just doing throwing that. up a little. Uh, oh, oh uh, sorry. People like that show. You did. <laughs> I'm ordering the whole situation halted right there, Waya. <laughs> am I understanding the writing of that character as both Boston and, and drunk? drunk? Correct. <laughs> uh, Lens and Green's shoes coming together and moving apart at either side of Gately. Faces coming down in a fisheye lens, lifting. Ready? That's that's the segment. That's the segment. Yep. That's good. What do you think? Uh, we should probably. I mean, we're at thirty-two. That's a good. Yeah. that's a good segment. That we was ten pages. Excellent. Uh, you know, it really clips along when he when he when he does dialogue. You yeah. know, which yeah. is almost never. Yeah. Right. Damn, we're really not that. We have a normal size chunk of book left. We have a regular book. We have a regular book left to, to finish. Uh, yeah, like what three hundred pages or so? Yeah. F it'll fly by. It'll three, fly by. Three hundred pages. That's only thirty weeks. Less than a year. Damn. That, nice. shit, that shit's crazy. That shit is crazy. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Don got popped. Don got popped. As we were, <laughs> we watched the movie Step Up this weekend, and someone, uh, spoiler alert, Step Up came out in 2006. Yeah, I think uh, it's fine so to talk about the plot. I think of it's Step okay up. to talk about the plot of uh, Channing Tatum's uh, star vehicle, Step Up. Uh, someone uh, j does a carjacking and then gets shot as retaliation. And we were talking about how all movies set in, uh, you know, down market cities have at least one bit of collateral damage that makes the whole situation like, yeah, now uh, this is serious. Like, now this is serious. Like, uh, we, like all we were all just playing around, but now the now that uh, skinny skinny got shot, <laughs> yeah, or uh, you know G Baby or whoever, yeah, whoever it is. Now it's Don. I know that somebody also gets shot, and um, you got served. You got served. Yes, uh, it, it's it's a it's a very funny plot device, and there's like dance dance movies where it's like you get to the third act turn, and you have to be like, no, this isn't just about dancing. This is serious. The, this is real life. This is life. This is life or death. You know, you might you might die at any time, so you got to mm -hmm. dance on that stage now. Yeah, exactly. Wow, you did you did Samparis in Federer. This is an old this is an old match. It, I, it just went to this automatically. Okay, I yeah. started with uh, Samparis is a '90s guy. Yeah, Tsitsipas and um, uh, I forget, but it was in Cincinnati. Pete Samparis, uh, Greek Greek excellence. A lot of Greek ex, ex Tsitsipas, I assume is yeah, Greek, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, Greece punching above its weight class and in international tennis guys. 
So I feel like Greece did we, and did we Spain, talk about this? Spain and has a lot of tennis guys. Didn't we too, talk about right? this with a lot of like Mediterranean things and how it's the power of the olive oil that gets yes. them so big and strong? Yeah, like Popeye's spinach. Yeah. You I, know, that, that Mediterranean diet's I, full of uh, omega 3s and healthy, yeah, uh, healthy fish oils. Fish and olive oil, yeah. baby. Um, yeah. I feel like the the Mediterranean's a punch above their weight class in, in uh, tennis. And Australians? Are there a lot of Australian tennis guys? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, people play in Australia in the Western winter or the Western hemisphere, the nor- the Northern hemisphere winter because they can continue playing yeah. outside uh, when it's hot. So I think there's something to that. Heat, like heat blasted areas. Heat blasted areas. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't really know if I have much <laughs> to say about that t- segment other than fun, <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good stuff, and it's fun. I mean, I like how he, I really like how he, uh, um, you know, codes, gives you, like, one little signifier to code the dialogue to each person. Yeah, like, you, you know who's talking. Even if he doesn't, he, so he doesn't have to write, like, Erdaddy says, but you just, like, know. You know that yeah. Erdaddy's the one who's, like, kind of square and, like, freaked yeah. out. You know that the chicks who are uh, uh, ki- kicking the guy's face in are, are yeah. uh, Clinette and Yolanda, I think. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's uh, a real, you know, it, it starts with just Dawn fighting alone and then everyone everyone, uh, everyone pitches in a, re- a real sign of solidarity. Yeah. And I, th- I think the thing the, uh, that maybe impresses pe- or the, the, un- the unwritten thing about this segment is that no one has ever seen Dawn do violence. Yes. Because everyone has met Dawn, except for one guy like, who I think was in jail with him briefly. Yes. He's Everyone a, has met Don in a sober context, yeah. and this is like watching a guy be like a superhero yes. of violence. Mm-hmm. Like Don is a very good giant. at violence. Yeah, mm-hmm. Don is the one who's you know hassling you to wash your dishes after you made rice krispie treats, He's and then he literally the just meatloaf. slammed a guy into a, yeah. a windshield until he died. Yes, I think all three Nucks are uh, de- uh, deceased, uh, de- desisted, desisted. Yeah, I probably mean, shouldn't say Nuck. Uh, 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 all three can, all three Canadians. Nuck is a slur. Yeah, is it? Uh, do, are I don't Canadians think anyone actually offended by that. I don't. Please write in if you uh, if 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 you. I don't want to do anti-Canadian I mean, uh, race, racism. <laughs> racism. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Look, I've never been in a situation where uh, I might be arrested, especially not for anything violence-related. Um, you know, let's hope I've rarely if ever needed to to uh, take an ambulance but it is just like it is funny to get to the point where you read about something like that and you try to put yourself in don's mind and and just immediately even though you've been shot and possibly just killed somebody yeah all you could think of is oh this is going to be a hassle this is going to be a lot of paperwork yeah I'm and gonna, also i'm gonna yeah. have to talk to a lot of people i'm on i'm on parole yeah. like this is bad it happened on like work grounds He's got plenty of witnesses. Uh, yes, but all the witnesses I are mean, I wonder in how, a halfway house. I, so. I feel like par- parole is like fairly uncompromising about those things. Even if you have like ten guys who are like, this person attacked him, and yeah. he, everything that he did was in self defense. Yeah, I don't know what the the legal uh, yeah. ramifications of such a thing are. I think but you have to, it you is probably it is to go truly back to just a little jail. Yeah, just a touch of jail. Well, and of course, let's not forget that he has a larger issue. Uh, that he is worried about dealing with. Um, oh, is being connected to the other murder. being connected to uh, uh, Duplass, Guillaume Duplessis. Uh, <laughs> which is Saint Guy. Saint Guy. Which, as you maybe remember or don't remember, yeah, uh, he was worried about that case for a long time, and then it completely disappeared. Why mm-hmm. did it disappear? Because it is now the Office of Unspecified Services. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, jurisdiction. Uh, as which they said he, about uh, Jeffrey Epstein when they were investigating him in Miami. Don't worry, he belongs to the feds. Ew. Uh, ju- jurisdiction drama, uh, but there's still a uh, revenge-minded uh, ADA who might uh, you, might just be stoked to see that uh, Ga- Gately will be returning you, to the system. And now you are linked to the death of who? Mm, let's, let's let's see this other Canadians. Poor poor Don. He doesn't want to kill these Canadians. <laughs> yes. He just keeps doing it accidentally. Yes. Uh, it's a it's a it's a coice. Uh, speaking of Canadians, um. Molly was looking at the French translation of Infinite Jest uh, the other day and like reading the <laughs> the plot summary in French. Yeah, somebody actually I should I should bring it up. Um, yeah, someone someone wrote in and said that they are uh, currently reading the 
French translation of Infinite Jest, which is called L'Enfini Comédie. And I didn't realize this, but it took a long time to get a French translation. I don't think it actually came out until 2015, which is kind of crazy. Oh, is this a French translation or is it a Quebecois translation? I think it is French. And would those two things be different? I sense so because my understanding of French is that uh, the French are very particular about their language. As are the Quebecois. Uh, do you remember, of course, the Simpsons, the thing with um, oh, yes. Simpsons uh, translation from Quebecois where, where they actually did like regionalisms. Oh, like yes. They, they did jokes that made sense within it, the context of being from Quebec versus yes. the French translation. It just does it. It just does literal translations. Yeah. Um, uh, like it was the ste- it was the steamed hams bit, and it was they did like real sit like they they did like it's it's and when he says it's more of a Utica fra- phrase yes it exactly says like small it's more of a you know Quebec city it's yes. more of an Ottawa phrase. Uh, anyway, well the thing that the reason I bring it up is you were reading like basically the jacket the book jacket summary yeah. of it, and I, I was entertained that even in French like you know it's like infinite jest. In the not in the not too distant future, yeah. After the unification of North America under a single government, and I'm like, yes, that is what the book is about. But it's funny to sell this as like uh, to to have your first sentence of the pitch be like, this is a sci-fi about a dystopian future. Because you know, now that I'm pretty much into it, if anybody asks me what Infinite Jest is about, I'm like, well, first, it's about Boston and recovery and tennis and tennis. And entertainment. Yeah. And, America. and television, basically. And television. Yeah, the sci-fi stuff is very, very backgrounded. Yeah. Uh, it's not really... The, if you if you are opening this book up expecting a, dysto- like a, uh, a dystopic sci-fi thriller, uh, you will be disappointed. Uh, the, yeah, they, they call it the near, the near future. The time, the near future. <laughs> Le time. Uh, oh, and also, La Société du Spectacle a gagné. <laughs> this, uh, this, this society of spectacle has won. Like, the Society of Spectacle I'm has like, won. I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess that's how you could describe w- where we are right now. Is sure. That the, every, everything is spectacle. Everything is content. Everyone's I, a content creator. Yes. Uh, the society, I mean, that's also very funny. I feel like that is something that you would use to sell a book in France, but I don't know if you would put that on a book cover in yeah, uh, America. For fans of Michel Houellebecq, I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name. Um, but yeah, uh, it also unlocked a memory that I took a French translation class in college and our final project was we had to pick something in French to translate into English and something in English to translate into French. And I actually did the first couple pages of Infinite Jest really? to translate into French. Yeah. I, re- I wish I still had it to see it now how, I can compare it because there wasn't something to compare it to. Uh, stupid. Interesting. Yeah. What did you translate from French into English? Uh, it, one of my favorite um, novels, which, oh God, what is it called? Um, the ma- it's just called The Masterpiece by Emile Zola. Oh, it's yeah. about like a it's about French uh, artists who just like completely go insane at the like you know t- turn of the century. If I'm remembering this correctly, sounds great. It's a uh, you know real really stressful to be an artist. Uh, it turns out just being like a sculptor, it's just like kind of sucks, man. <laughs> yes, I uh, was terrible at languages. All I remember is like trying to puzzle my way through so many magical realism pieces in Spanish. Yeah, they, I feel they like they love that shit down there. Everybody's they do love got that like shit a, down there. They, they've everybody's every piece of literature I read is like a woman who has a crab that lives in her leg. That's also her father. That's honestly that's why Encanto. Uh, I, I did not really fuck with that movie. Also, like I'm 32 years old. Like yes, I don't necessarily think it's for me. Uh, but it is that was magical. Re- we have a house that's alive, and every every person in our gigantic family gets a special power, but not Melinda or whatever the fuck Bruno. her name is. Or no, the Bruno, kid. Bruno's got powers, but we I've, don't talk I've, about I've it. only had this the plot of Encanto explained to me by Matt Chrisman. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> he watched it for some reason. Why did he watch it? I, I don't mean, know. I think he needed to know about Bruno. Okay. I mean, it's it was a number one song in for America. Like Ten weeks. Honestly, or that's a song. Again, I don't want to disparage I, like yeah. children's movies or whatever, children of the future, but like the number one pop song in America is that is that song. It's not a good song. I mean, say what you will about Lin Manuel Miranda, but that guy has his finger on the pulse. He of knows what, what the what people our hog like. Brains like here. he knows he and he he's, get, kind he's of getting saccharine away with it. bullshit that we can that we that we love to to swallow down. He knows the like media the the median of 
like the American yeah. like creative uh, uh, capacity, which is basically like, what if what if the Declaration of Independence was a rap? <laughs> yes, and I don't like a it. Very but I don't, ha- I don't have to watch it. Uh, he knows exactly what to write to make my you know almost seventy year old mo- mother uh, see Hamilton and say that's the best rap music I've ever heard. Exactly. <laughs> And my mom's other favorite hip hop song, of course, New York State of Mind. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. No. That's very funny. Yes. It's funny because I don't think your mom Empire has State it. of Mind, I'm sorry. I don't think your mom has an Empire I, State of Mind whatsoever. No, I try and I was like I was explaining to her that I'm like, you know that song's mostly about dealing drugs, and she's like, I don't care. I just think it's great. That song's about moving to New York and immediately having to like do illi- illegal house, yeah. shit in order to make enough money to have the kind of life that you want to. Yeah, that McDonald's. That's an Empire State of Mind. Yeah. Including every every, politi- every New York politician, politician, honestly, has Empire State of Mind. Uh, I was looking at a funny thing. I think this is a far off topic, but about the duration of lieutenant governors in New York State. And <laughs> New York, in the last 40 years, has had one lieutenant governor fill their entire a term on mm. changed because almost every single one either gets arrested or the governor gets arrested and the lieutenant governor pops up to governor. Yeah. So in 40 years, one lieutenant governor has served their entire term as lieutenant governor. That's so unbelievably embarrassing. It's but so funny. Extremely New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to say about this? This is this section was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed the tension as I described at the beginning. You know, I could see, I can see very clearly how you would, shoot this segment as a um you know yeah he even did the lighting yeah exactly like he don was on the ground with only his head lit by the headlights like come on i've noticed in this book that whenever he talks about stars something Mm. traumatic is happening you know yeah it's i feel like he's uh you know there's there's something about the the great beyond there or like when um that uh anti-twa guy like, yeah so launches yeah launches like, into the stars back to quebec yeah and uh the and um poor tony, poor tony. Scene, yes going through the stargate when he has his seizure yeah i feel like there's a, a few other times where they like what's more infinite than the universe man oh, that truly we don't truly, know what's the, up there the stars are the infinite jest our friend was in a play where he played an astrophysicist and uh, he had like a speech slash lecture within the play that said that like the known, the, the universe that we like know and like measure is like the size of a grain of sand in like the space of the theater. Yeah. Oh man, we don't know what's going on up there. You ever think about that shit? Yeah. That shit's crazy. Do you think there might be something to it that like this might be a little too literal for this, but oh, the idea it. that like this that stars would be among the first entertainment for humans? Wow. I love that. I don't think that's literal too literal at all. I think there it's going back to like primordial shit. Yeah, yeah. like you know, you're looking at your TP or your, your star, uh, basically like whatever. stars and fire. Yeah. I've talked about the phallic flames on this podcast, right? Yes, you have talked about the phallic okay. flames. I think my, my favorite, my favorite footnote of all time, and also sort of the the impartial, uh, you know, uh, judges on all this dumb shit that's happening down on Earth, just like stars up there, just being like, oh yeah, interesting, yeah, weird. Also, you know, ta- we're talking uh, talking higher power, talking the big question mark. And so the big dipper, uh, higher power in AA, like what? What's God? Where is he? What the fuck is going on? Who's who is the unrelatable narrator of this thing? Where is he? Yeah, uh, maybe the higher power is just the stars. Things are about to get, I would say, in the back half of this book, a little more metaphysical, a little more, uh, a little more freaky, a, li- a little less, uh, a little more metaphysical. Yeah, a, a little less to do with uh, the physical world, a little more with the, uh, with the spiritual world. Would you describe this book as ponderous? Ponderous, yeah. I mean, wait, what actually? What does ponderous mean? I don't know. I think it usually <laughs> well pondering. I usually, I feel like that word is usually used pejoratively. You know. Like too, yeah. too uh, plotting plot, through uh, weird thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of, it, it has a connotation of boringness, but I could think that I would call this book ponderous without being boring. Yeah, you because know? it's, po- it's you know, pondering interesting things. Yes. Wait, uh, no, po- ponderous is slow and clumsy because of great weight, dull, laborious, or excessively solemn. Oh, I always, I always thought of it something more like, you know, st- Kind of that, but like self-reflective because you're pondering. 
Yeah, po- Ponderous does so not. So I guess it does have negative Ponderous and Ponder share an old French root, but they came to English separately and always had un- unrelated meanings. Wow. Etymology. Etymology. Beow, 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 beow. Okay. Well, so Ponderous does have negative con- connotations. So yeah. no, I would not call this book Ponderous. That would be the incorrect word. <laughs> Yo, I, lo- I love vocabulary so much. I do love vocabulary. You ever think about words? Saying pejorative and negative connotation reminds me of a time that I got really mad at my English teacher in uh, high school because I used the word plethora in a paper to describe a great many things and she redlined it and said don't use plethora here that has a pejorative connotation I don't think a plethora does and I was like what the fuck are you talking about teacher you could say plethora to say uh, I've never known plethora to have a pejorative connotation I think she was wrong about it but I was but she was the teacher and I was the student I could and I I went specifically to argue and she was like no you're wrong I would I would like to tie this all together in a bow with what we were talking about before about um, inaccuracies in music supervision Mm -hmm. in um, uh, period TV and movies because we've noticed a lot of inconsistencies late, lately of uh, shows yes. that are otherwise have a lot of attention paid to, to uh, detail. detail and accuracy, period accuracy, having uh, music that is not from the right time. And, and sometimes this, wildly off the time. This reminds me of, again, my French translation class where I was doing a translation and there was a word that was grotesque and I was trying to add a little bit of flair so I was like, eh, we don't, grotesque is the same in French, but why don't we make it ubu-esque instead because it had that was, it means grotesque and it has to do with As in from per ubu? Per ubu. Ubu, pa- Papa Ubu, uh, which was a piece of media that I did not know, turned it in, received it back. Uh, my professor said, you cannot use that word because it is an, acro- an anachronism. The work you are des- uh, describing predates uh, uh, Per Ubu, mm-hmm. so you can't use it. And I was like, uh, tough but fair. Yeah, that's that's what translation is. That is what translation is. It is, and, and I, I'm sorry, I don't accept anachronisms Ooh. when the entire thing is supposed to be, you have to develop at least a language of uh, correct timing before you can play around yes, with exactly. it. Yes, exactly. Anyway, rant over. Ubu-esque. Ubu-esque. I'm, I'm going to try to work that into yeah. a uh Ordinary conversation. Yeah. Po- pointing at a piece of meat. How ubu-esque. This is extremely ubu-esque. Do you get that joke? No. That's from Mission Hill, of course. I, you, I know you like that show. <laughs> you showed me that show. I thought I liked it. Yeah. The, the main character is a cartoonist. And the, the example of his bad overthought cartooning is a doodle of a per- person at a deli counter pointing at a piece of meat. And the, <laughs> the caption says, how Kafka-esque. <laughs> and his brother to punch it up suggests maybe you should try a funnier uh caption like what if it said please sir no meat touching (laughs) (laughs) one of the great tragedies it's a commentary on the overuse of kafka s everybody (laughs) should watch mission hill that show is so great the uh and i think they're gonna bring it back Mm. really yeah everybody uh uh tweet at bill oakley saying that i should get a writer job on on mission hill i know that show inside and out wow uh start start the campaign yeah uh, ma- manifest. Let me write for Mission Hill too. <laughs> Mission Hill too. I just, now I with should, more missions. I should send him a uh, band practice. That show is basically Mission Hill, but for uh, for for being a band Guys. dork in Brooklyn in 2013. Yeah. Just, justice for that. Hey, everybody who watches this, uh, go to my YouTube channel and watch my web series Band Practice. It's very funny and underseen. I, uh, I'm. It's not just that uh, we are. Uh, married, so I'm very biased, but uh, that that web series is extremely good. One of my one of my favorite things, honestly. Um, I, th- I feel like we've lost focus here now, yeah. just rambling. So we should cut cut it off. Yeah. But we're having fun. Go watch Band Practice on YouTube, uh, and I don't know. Tweet me if you can't find it. Anyway, yeah. bye. Bye.